We're going to continue our journey through Daniel. If you're visiting with us, we've been in the book of Daniel. We travel through the first eight chapters. We're going to move into chapter nine, which is an amazing, amazing chapter. Matter of fact, when we get to the last four verses of this chapter, we're going to see it's one of the most amazing prophecies that has been given in all of Scripture. I love to hear the pages of the Bible turn. You there? So once again, Lord, we just ask you to bless this time. Help us to remember to turn our ringers off our phones. We want to be free from distractions. And Lord, to teach us, because you have something for us here this morning. It is very, very important. So help us be teachable, humble before you, ready to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So keep in mind, as in our travel thus far in the book of Daniel, that the first six chapters were in narrative form. Each chapter gave an account of the life of Daniel from the time that he was taken as a captive by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon in 605 BC. He's only 14, 15 years of age. And he would be taken to Babylon where he would be trained in the affairs of the Babylonian government. And he would continue in that capacity through the 70 years of captivity, even past that, serving in the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. It is also an account of his three companions that were taken captive with him, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, the three that were delivered by God as they were thrown in the burning fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar. You might recall that in chapter 3. As you know, chapter 7 begins the second part of this book which contains prophetic visions that Daniel would receive from the Lord. And at the end of chapter 7, after Daniel has that vision of four great beasts that come out of the sea and the fourth beast that is dreadful and terrible, trampling everything in its way and has ten horns and a little horn that comes out of the ten horns that really it drew the attention of Daniel. He wanted to know about that fourth beast. And we know that at the end of the chapter that it tells us that Daniel, that my thoughts greatly troubled me. My countenance changed and I kept the matter in my heart. When we saw chapter 8 and went through that, speaking of the ram and the goat and the one that would come on the scene, a near fulfillment, this Syrian king that would come into Jerusalem in 165 B.C., uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, and he persecuted the Jews very, very heavily. But then it, it speaks of a future fulfillment in this one, the Antiochus Epiphanes, a picture of the one that is yet to come, and that is the little horn of chapter 7. And as we see the things that are told to us, Daniel here receiving the visions, that in chapter 8, Daniel it says, I fainted and was sick for days, and afterwards I rose and went about the king's business. And as Daniel is receiving these visions from the Lord, that he's overwhelmed, is very heavy. He's troubled in his heart. You see, he wasn't troubled in that way, you recall, when Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 was getting ready to kill all the wise men of Babylon and he knew that his life was in danger. Daniel wasn't troubled in this way that we read about at the end of chapter 7 and chapter 8 when at the end of his life they were going to throw him into the den of lions. 
But these visions which speak of what is coming in the future days of our world did trouble him greatly to the point where it had a physical effect on him. He was sick for days. His countenance changed. I wonder what that countenance was. Just a countenance of trouble that was on his face uh, that he fainted. And, and as it did, Daniel here, as we see entering into chapter 9, it begins in a narrative form again. And we see that Daniel sets himself to pray, to pray for his nation. His nation that had experienced the judgment of God in the capacity of Judah, the destruction of Jerusalem, because at this time, Jerusalem laid in rubble. It was completely destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, as well as the magnificent temple that Solomon had built. And in chapter 9 here, these prophecies that he is receiving, chapters 8 and 7 and 8, and now in chapter 9, deal with this one. This one who the title is given to him, the little horn, as we saw. We know that the New Testament writers speak of this one who's going to be a world leader in the last days, in that final seven-year period right prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. The New Testament writers, such as Paul, calls him the son of perdition, the man of sin, the lawless one. John in his epistle uniquely calls him the Antichrist. And in his day, he will bring devastating events to Daniel's people in the holy city of Jerusalem. We will see that the last four verses, once again, as I've already mentioned of the chapter, that there's going to be a prophecy that's going to be brought to Daniel, not over 70 years as he's praying about the 70 years of captivity, but Daniel, I've come to give you understanding about 70 weeks. And it will set the time frame of biblical prophecy and the tribulation period. And I think that the Lord lays this narrative before us as we begin this chapter, because as we know what the fulfillment of these things pertaining to the future that it will come to pass. In the 70th week of Daniel, the details given to us in the book of Revelation, chapter 6 through 19, that, John, you are to write these things that must shortly come to pass. Isaiah, when he wrote about the millennium reign and the day of the Lord, that these things surely will be fulfilled. Jesus himself said that every dot and tittle of his word will come to pass and be fulfilled. We know it's going to happen. And as we look at it, it can be a lot to take in. For those of you who have been here at Calvary Chapel, as we go through the books of the Bible, you know that we have gone over prophecy because a third of the Bible deals with prophecy. And you may be familiar with end-time prophecy, but for a lot of people that have been coming, they don't know a whole lot about it. It can be overwhelming, a little bit confusing, and, and I pray and hope that we make it to where you can understand the framework of what's going to happen in the last days and the prophecies that are given to us so we can be wise and discerning in the days in which we are living in. It is Jesus that said that we're to be wise. It is Jesus that said that we're to be watching, that we're to occupy till he comes, because I come at a time that you do not know. It is a commandment that is given of the Lord. And he would rebuke the religious leaders. He said, you guys can discern the sky, but you can't discern the coming of the Son of Man. And as we go over these things and we look at the, the things that are told to us concerning the return of the Lord, we have horns and little horns, rams and goats and lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. You know, what do we do with all of that that we've been going over? 
And as we look at it, we think it affects us to where our hearts are stirred. We know as we see the things that are going on around us in this world, in our nation, and it's like the Lord is saying to us once again, listen, wake up. It's time to wake up spiritually. As Paul would write in Romans chapter 13, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And Daniel here reminds us that we are to rise up and be about the king's business because our king is the king of kings. Amen. He's the Lord of lords and we belong to a kingdom that's going to be established forever. And what can happen is, is that we can kind of take for granted the things that are before us here in Daniel and we can get to the point of just kind of cruising through Christianity. Hey, things will work out. You know, they've been talking about prophecy for a lot of years. That pastor at Calvary Chapel has been teaching on those things for over two decades. And things continue as as they were. And Peter warned us in his epistle that in the last days there would be those scoffers that will be on the scene saying, where's the coming of the Lord since your forefathers' times? Things continue as they were. Well, we look around, and as we are wise and discerning, we know that things aren't continuing as they were before. Things are changing rapidly. And we're seeing the signs and the events that are before us, the storm clouds that are gathering, that tell us that the Lord's return is very close. We don't know the day or the hour. And we are reminded as we read these things that are before us that we are to be praying, that we are to be praying for our nation as we see where our nation is headed for our world. And I'll be honest with you, and I think that many of you feel the same way, that the things that this world, our culture, is telling our children, our grandchildren, and all of us to embrace, it greatly troubles me. It makes me sick in my heart and in my soul. And it reminds me that I'm to be about the king's business, and that includes what Daniel shows us here, and that is to set my heart to pray. To pray for my family, for my kids, my grandchild. To be praying for the families here at Calvary Chapel. To be praying for my community. To be praying for the nation and to be praying for the church. Because we're seeing it that Babylon is taking them captive. So many people that we love and care about. Taking them away from the Lord. And one of the most important things that we can do in our service to our king is to be men and women of prayer. And that's what Daniel shows us as we open up chapter 9. Daniel is praying for his people. He's praying for Jerusalem, for God's work to be revived in the hearts of his people that have forsaken the Lord. And God takes this prayer and he places it in his word in front of us here this morning. And my hope and my prayer for all of us is this. Whether you can identify the ten horns of chapter 7, whether you can identify the ram and the goat of chapter 8, whether you can calculate the 70 weeks of Daniel in chapter 9, we will go over. But my heart and my prayer is this, that we are stirred knowing that the Lord's return is near. And it would cause us to pray and look for revival. I want to see revival in my day. I think you do as well.
When I see what's going on in our nation and in our culture, I see people, so do you, that have not embraced the gospel, that live in darkness. So many that we know personally and care about, that we love, that don't know you, that have hard hearts towards you, Lord. Does it stir us to pray? Does it give us a desire that, Lord, I desire to see revival? I want to see revival in my life. I want to see revival in the church. I want to see God work in my community, in my state, and in our nation. I want to live to see it. And Daniel in this prayer is praying for God's work amongst his people. Whenever that you have a prayer that's recorded in the scriptures from those of faith, David, Nehemiah, Moses, you have in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle, Jesus telling us how to pray in the Gospels. And Daniel here is this amazing man of faith. It's important to look at this carefully because we learn so much from these prayers that are recorded in the Word of God for all eternity. And it is a reminder and it is a model as well for us as we look at it and how we can pray. The things, the spiritual things that are important for us to be seeking the Lord on and looking to. This prayer of Daniel here, as we go through it, can be divided up into three parts. In verses 4 through 11, we have confession. We will see that. In verses 11 through 14, God's justified. And then in verses 16 through 19, a plea for God's mercy. And Daniel, he doesn't pray for God's mercy until he confesses the sins of the nation. He doesn't pray for mercy until he justifies God's reason to bring judgment. We have broke your commandment. Uh, We have broke the covenant that you gave to us. We are wrong. We have sinned. We have rebelled. You are righteous, Lord. You are righteous and true. We have done wrong. And you are great and awesome. So let's begin to read chapter 9 as we enter into this, this chapter of Daniel. Then in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. And then verse 3 tells us, He set his face towards the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So Daniel, in the latter days of his life, has been in captivity for 70 years. He is in his 80s, and you sense that he still has a fire that's in his heart towards the things of God, the, the word of the Lord. He still has a heart for his people. I learned from Daniel in this. Because I don't want that fire for God's word, that desire to read and to continue to study his word. I don't want that fire to grow cold, dull, apathetic towards the Lord. And it can happen in our Christian lives. The spiritual excitement and desire for the things of God can begin to, over time, over the years, begin to become cold begin to be dull. Well, we got to go to church and listen to another Bible study. Or I am not going to go to church anymore because I've gone to church for a number of years. 
I don't need to do devotions anymore. I, I don't need to study the scriptures. I don't need to serve in this area. I've been there and I've done that. And I, I did it for a number of years or whatever the mindset might be. And I've even talked to those who say that I don't need to go to church anymore. God still loves me. He does. Or I'm still saved. You are. But you're missing out. You're missing out on what God has for you and being disobedient to his word, actually, because Hebrews 10 declares not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, especially as you see the day approaching. We're seeing the day approaching, the day when the Lord is going to come for us. So we don't want to get into that mindset. And I know that our lives change and circumstances change and we have seasons of our lives that change. But I don't want to get to that place where my desire for the things of God begin to diminish. I'm distracted with all the things that are going on around me, with the cares of life. I become spiritually lazy and lethargic. And Daniel here, he's had quite a life in Babylon. He has seen miracles. He's received incredible visions. God working in incredible ways. He's received favor with man and with God. And he doesn't at this time of his life just decide to kick it into cruise control. He isn't spiritually dull in his soul and in his heart. We need to be careful, me included. This is for me. I don't want to have that mindset. I don't want to have that heart. I don't want to have the mindset of, well, I've been in ministry 30 years. I've taught through the Bible, and I'm just going to be lazy and no longer excited about teaching the Word of God or what God wants to do and how He wants to continue to work. I'm just kind of, kind of take it easy. Put it in cruise control, whatever the case may be. One of the things that the Lord has spoken to me very clearly over the last couple weeks and, you know, with the death of Pastor Scott and his wife Nancy, Scott being on our board, and, and for those of you who may not know, Pastor Scott Cox and his wife Nancy were killed in a tragic car accident on the 4th of July up in Montana. He pastored Calvary Chapel uh, Windsor for the last 16 years he was the founder of the church I remember the day he called me and said hey uh, I'm thinking he came out of the same church I did Rocky Mountain Calvary a large church in Colorado Springs he said I'm, I'm you know being led by the Lord to come up to northern Colorado to Windsor and start a church and I said great Scott and we walked with him from 16 years ago he was always excited about what God was doing. Committed to teaching the word of God. And especially, I talked to him quite a bit over the last few months because he was on our board. He was excited about what God was doing. He was one that had a real vision for prayer and bringing the congregation together to pray and the pastors together in Windsor to pray. And I learned from that. He was so excited about ministry. And the Lord took him home. Tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. And I don't want to grow cold. I learned from that example, Pastor Scott and his wife, Nancy. I have today. Those of you who were here last week, remember that Pastor Bob Claycamp, he said, today is today. Tomorrow will be today. We have today, and I, again, understand that we go through different seasons of our lives. 
but please, for me and for us, we are here for such a time as this. And God's not done with you. He's not done with me. To be sensitive to his leading and his guidance. And what we do for Christ, that's what's going to last. And I'm sure, I know it, that when Scott and Nancy stood before the Lord, that they heard those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's my desire that you hear those words and for me to hear. And I see here that Daniel, at the end of his life here, 70 years of captivity, has a genuine heart for the Lord and the things of the Lord. So how do you and I keep from being dull spiritually? Notice in verse 2, this is really important, that Daniel studied the scriptures. He studied the prophecies of Jeremiah. He had been reading the scriptures. He doesn't have the mindset of, well, I'm a prophet, and I've even have received more intense visions from God than Jeremiah did in Jerusalem. You see, Jeremiah, he began his ministry before the captivity. He began about you know, 640 B.C. and, and continued uh, to 586 B.C. And he was there in Jerusalem prophesying when Daniel would be taken away captive as a young teenager. And Jeremiah would continue to be there. God used him to warn the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Judgment's going to come. Don't rebel when it does come. And it came in 605 to 70 years of captivity began. And he said, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to experience devastation, destruction, and death like you've never seen before. Well, Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, did do that. And that's when finally Nebuchadnezzar came in and he destroyed Jerusalem. We know that Ezekiel, he was in captivity in 597, the second deportation, as he's prophesying there in Babylon. So God has his prophets, Jeremiah and Jerusalem, that his ministry ended in 586 B.C., shortly after that as he was taken to Egypt. And then Daniel's there in Babylon, and so is Ezekiel. But here it's about 536 B.C., and Daniel, he goes to the scriptures, and he goes to what Jeremiah had prophesied previously. And God had directly given him revelation, Daniel here, that has worn him out. I mean, made him sick. And what he does at this time, and what was custom in his life, is he went to God's word. Maybe there are things going on in your life here this morning that have really affected you mentally, spiritually, even physically. You're worn out. You're tired. You're feeling hopeless. You think, what does the future hold? And I want you to know that there's comfort as you go to the Word of God. And that's what Daniel would do. He's a good example to us. He gives himself to the word of God. He finds the promises of God, and it stirs his heart then to go to prayer, to draw close to the Lord. He gets alone with the word of God, and his prayer here is born out of that. Again, it grieves me when I hear somebody that says, well, you know, I don't need to have devotions. I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need that anymore. I've read the Bible. I know the Bible. It's like, really, you know the Bible? Because I know that we cannot exhaust the word of God. 
We don't want to come to that place of, I don't need to read my Bible or be in the Word. I've read the Bible for years. I've been in church for years. I've been in Bible study a long time. Another great example given to us in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle, who wrote a lot of the New Testament. And at the end of his life, as he's thrown in a Mandertine dungeon, a terrible place in Rome, and he knows he's going to be executed. He's not complaining. He's not protesting, but he puts pen to parchment and he writes to Timothy. And he encourages Timothy because he's going to pass the baton of ministry on to him. And he says, Timothy, as we learned last week reading from 2 Timothy chapter 2, that you be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You be like the soldier that doesn't get entangled with the affairs of the world. You be like the athlete that, that would do their events and run according to the rules. You be like the hard-working farmer that's out there to get a harvest. Be a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And know this, Timothy, know this. That in the last days, it's going to be perilous times. It's going to be very violent times, fierce times. There are going to be those who have a form of godliness, but denying its power. You, you stay away from such of those. Those of corrupt minds and counterfeits and know this, Timothy, that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And what do you do, Timothy? What do you do? We hear so much in the church today and you get magazines and emails and how to reach the culture and how to reach the young people and how to reach people. And Paul already tells us how to do that, inspired by the word of God. Timothy, this is what you do in the days in which we are in perilous times. You must continue in the scriptures that you've learned from childhood. And then as we know that Paul, as he writes his last words, he says, Timothy, my departure is at hand. And come to me quickly, Timothy. Bring my coat. It's cold here. But especially you bring the parchments, which were portions of the Old Testament. And it would be shortly after that, when he put his pen down, that he would be taken out of that dungeon and he would be taken to the executioner that would put Paul to death. But as I consider it, I think about, wow, how he encouraged Timothy, encouraged the saints. He could have said, you know, I don't need the parchments. I don't want that. I don't need them. I've written most of the New Testament. But he knew that he would receive comfort and strength and encouragement and be built up. Bring the parchments to me. Bring the word of God. You must continue, Calvary Chapel, in the word of God that you are learning. Because it is the way to continual growth and maturity. Stay close to the Lord. Be learning from the Lord. Be prompted to seek the Lord. And Daniel, he's reading from Jeremiah, would realize that Jeremiah in chapter 25 of his book tells us that captivity would be 70 years. So why 70 years? Well, you go to Jeremiah chapter 25. I'll read it to you in verses 11 through 13. If you want to quickly turn to the left in your Bible, you can turn there. But in Jeremiah chapter 25, for you who want to just write down notes or if you want to, to read it with me as I read it, J 
Jeremiah, he's prophesying again in Jerusalem. And in chapter 25, beginning in verse 11, we read, And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will come to pass, when 70 years are completed, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord. And I will make it a perpetual desolation, so I will bring on that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning all the nations. Again, that's Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 through 13. When you go to Leviticus chapter 25, you can write down that reference. It states, when you guys go into the promised land, God told his people that you're to rest the land every seven years, a Sabbath year. So they would plant for six years, and then they were to let the land rest on the seventh, seventh year. God said he would take care of his people, but the people didn't obey the law. So they went into the land after 490 years, which I find to be an interesting number, because keep that number in mind. When we read about the 70 weeks of Daniel, which are 490 years, we'll bring that up later. So for 490 years, they ignored the law. There were 70 Sabbaths to rest the land, and they didn't do so. So God says, I'm going to get my 70 years back. Second Chronicles 36, verses 19 through 21, another reference tells us about that, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So here's Daniel. He's reading the, the prophecies of Jeremiah. He realizes that the 70 years of captivity are just about over. So it prompts him to pray for the people of Israel. One of the things that I have discovered, and so have you, is so oftentimes when you're reading the scriptures, it will prompt you to pray, right? You're reading the promises of God, and you're going, oh, Lord, thank you. Or the blessings of the Lord. Or the correction of the Lord. You need to turn away from this sin. You need to repent from this attitude. And he brings that conviction to us, not to push us away from him, because he loves us. Condemnation comes from the enemy, and that is to push you away from the Lord. But we read his word, and we're instructed, we're encouraged, we're built up, and it prompts us to pray, thank you, Lord, I hear you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this wisdom. Thank you for truth, and we can be established, and we don't have to be deceived by the weirdness of the world. And it prompts us to pray. We look around us and we see what's happening. We read the scriptures and we see what's going on. Jesus said concerning his coming that we should pray always. Do we look around? Does it stir our hearts to pray for our nation, for our loved ones? We know that culture is poisoning our children, our grandchildren, those that we love. Are we just complaining about it? Listen, I do my share of complaining, all right? Are we just posting endlessly about it? Are we just watching newscasts all the time? I want to be informed. I'm not saying don't watch the news or don't be on social media. That's between you and the Lord. But this is what I am saying. As we see the things we think going on around us, we see them going on, do we think, man, the world's falling apart when we should be realizing things are actually falling into place? exactly as the Lord said it would be. Amazing how you can read the, 
the, the papers and, and watch the news and read the Bible and you can say, yeah, it's lining up. Or are we more concerned, like a lot of people, what's going on in Hollywood? Spending endless hours on social media. And this is for me, too. To think about and to consider. Do we confess our sins? Do we seek to get right with Him? Do we know that God's Word is right in our lives and true? Do we pray for God's mercy to work not only in my own life, but in others? We are the generation that is closer to the fulfillment of these things that are spoken of than any other generation. We're seeing the ungodliness that is spoken of in the Scriptures in the last days. We're seeing the lawlessness that will abound and the love of of many that's going to grow cold. We're seeing the immorality. Nations that are in distress of perplexity. They don't know what to do. Pandemics that are happening. Israel's on the scene. I said that you can watch the news or read the newspaper and, and, and look at prophecy. It's amazing. Just this week, I'm going to throw up a slide here real quick, but this came up this week, and I looked at this, and some of you saw that, didn't you? And you're thinking Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 38, this invasion in the last days of Israel by a massive army led by Russia. There's Putin. Iran, Khomeini. Turkey, Erdogan, right there, coming together, just as the Bible said 2,500 years ago, stage-setting events, coming with an alliance, coming and holding hands and saying, we're strong, we're aligning, the West is dangerous, and, and all of this. And I think, wow, wow, this is amazing. Iran, the spokesman, so you can take it off. It's too spooky to have these guys up. So, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Luke. Governmental spokesman, one of them from Iran, said, we're just days away, not months or years, but just weeks or days away from actually producing a nuclear weapon. Even as we speak, they're looking at a nuclear weapon to put on a warhead. Of course, they go on to say that we're a peaceful nation. We would never use the, you know, our nuclear technology to do something like that. That's not what Ezekiel says. When Ezekiel gives a description, it's absolutely amazing how those who are employed are going to come. Mass destruction, weapons of mass destruction that will be used, burning the weapons for seven years, that they have to come and put flags by the, the bodies. They can't go in for seven months because the bodies are poisoned. That speaks of weapons of mass destruction, chemical, biological, nuclear weapons that are going to be used that is yet future, and the stage is being set. It causes me to wake up. Is it going to happen in my lifetime? I don't know. But I don't want to go to sleep spiritually. I don't want to just get caught up in all the things that are going on in the world. But what should it do? Well, verse 3 here, as we read it once again. Then I set my face towards the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication when fasting sackcloth and ashes. He knew that the 70 years were about over. We know we're in the last days. He set his face. It speaks of determination. He put on sackcloth and, and, and throws ashes on his head and he's fasting. You say, do I need to do all of that? No, you don't need to do all of that. You can fast while you pray. They do go together. 
But when you do pray, there are those times of seriousness. Fasting may be a part of that. Denying the physical to focus on the spiritual because we're constantly bombarded with stimulants all day long. What foods to eat, music, voices. Daniel here is getting away from all of that. Matter of fact, I just read a recent study. They say the average person looks at their cell phone every three minutes. So we're people that walk around like this. We can go into a restaurant. Listen, I'm guilty of it too. What's everybody at the table doing? Families are sitting there. It's family time. Just something. And Daniel says, I set my face. He was free to pour out his heart to God. But the main thing is to remember as we talk about this, just as we did in chapter 6, it's important to set our heart towards him, the posture of our heart. That might be getting on your knees, fasting, and reflects that you really desire to draw close to him, seek him. I, I need my heart to be quiet before the Lord because there can be so much noise and distractions. Have you ever found that you set yourself to pray and all of a sudden somebody's pounding on the door, phone's ringing, dogs are barking, all this is going on. And we need those quiet times. And as we begin to look at this prayer, verse 4, quickly, and we're going to close. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him, with those who keep his commandments. Of course, as we look at this prayer next time, there is the prompting to prayer. There's the preparation to prayer. And then there's the purpose of prayer. Remember who it is that we're talking to, a great and awesome God. You are mighty and faithful. Prayer is taking a hold of God's you know, willingness to want to save, to work in our lives, to revive the church. He wants us to turn from our sins. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. You know the verse. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards him. We pray to an awesome, almighty God who invites us to seek him with all of our hearts. And it was Jeremiah in chapter 29 that said, when we do, we will be found by him. Father, I thank you for this time in your word and this study and this morning and this book of Daniel. Truth given. And I pray our hearts are stirred this morning. To be men and women of prayer. Or set our hearts and our faces towards you as we see the things going on around us. We want to see revival. We want to see revival in our own hearts, in our families, Lord, in the church. I, I, to pray for our kids, our grandkids. So for you that are here, for your kids that aren't saved, pray for them. Just name them by name right now. Lord, save them. Draw them to you. Lord, bring godly influence into their lives somehow. Open up their eyes as they're blinded. Soften their hearts. Lord, work. Bring them to salvation. And for those kids, grandkids that are prodigal, bring them home, Lord. Because you're the father that's at the road looking for the son to return, the daughter to return. And the message is, come home. Bring them home. Lord, to help our homes be 
a spiritual sanctuary, to continue in the scriptures and the word of God, for this church to be a light and stand on truth, to be a church pleasing to you in these last days. See revival in our community, in our nation, spiritual awakening, because we know it's the hope of our nation. And I want to pray if there's anyone that's listening right now, or maybe you're here, maybe perhaps later on the radio, that you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Listen, he's your salvation. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. A church can't save you. It is coming, repenting, that is change direction. Come to Jesus. Confess that you're a sinner. That's why he went to the cross. We're all sinners. He died for your sins. He made atonement for for your sins as he took that cross and walked to that place of execution he did it because of his love for you and the invitation is for you to come and believe on him to be saved and forgiven and come into right relationship with the father because jesus said i am the way not a way the way the truth the life and no one comes to the father except through me and he was pinned to that cross he cried out it is finished he did the work And then he was put into a grave and he rose again. And he's alive. We believe in a risen Savior. He conquered sin and death. He is the Son of God who died for you because of his love for you. And he says, come, turn to me, call out to me. You can do that right now. He is your salvation. And you can pray, Jesus, I come and I confess that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. And I believe you died for me on that cross and you rose again and you're alive. And I ask that you would be the Lord of my life. You're my Savior. You're the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You're my Lord and Savior. And I thank you for hearing my prayer and bringing me into the family of God and forgiving me and giving me this living hope. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. Father, I pray for all of us as we leave this place, being encouraged and being men and women of prayer and of the word, not growing dull or lethargic, but being watchful, vigilant, sober with the things of the Lord. We thank you once again in Jesus' name. Amen.